going to fall. <laughs> Last week, Brian was talking about, Brian introduced the series, and I don't know if you remember that right at the end, he said, next week, for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And Brian said, and those are the two easiest chapters to read. And the very next thing that Brian said was, Dave will be preaching. <laughs> Easy, Dave. But we also want you to know that there is, and you see it in your bulletin, there is uh, a password for our Wi-Fi. And there is also a number for you to call to text. Um, last week, Jerry Riley and I were, were watching the text come in. Uh, Brian is doing that today. If you want to ask Brian who you think is the NBA champions will be, uh, you're welcome to ask him that, but he would prefer you not text him that during church. It would distract him while he's taking the text questions. But if there are questions that come up, uh, those are printed in your bulletin, but they're also up on the screen, so for you can have that and the Wi-Fi password. And I'm, I'm sure the Apostle Paul made similar announcements when he was at house churches throughout the the Middle East, that he would say, okay, tonight in our house, the Wi-Fi here is, is this. So be aware of that. Um, and I, I, want us to, I want us to be able to understand this about our sermon today, because you'll see that the sermon says, don't compromise your church. But when you hear the word compromise, do you think of that as a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, we hear a lot about how that, that our Congress needs to compromise, that Congress needs to compromise on things like DACA and the, and the, uh, the border wall and the budget and, and all of those kind of things. And we, we hear, we've got to compromise. And then we also hear people say that some of the people in Congress have compromised their integrity. They have compromised their, their judgment. They have compromised their values. So is compromise a good thing or a bad thing? And then you come to church and you see that the title of the sermon today is Don't Compromise Your Church. So at least for today, <laughs> compromise is not a good thing. And that's what we're going to be looking at, what it means to compromise the church. But this is a very, very important subject. And when we look at Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at, at churches that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, and he sent that, those letters to those seven churches. And it addresses some key issues that I believe certainly apply to us today as the church as well. And I really want the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us today. So would you join me as we pray, as we begin? Father, you are the one who is exalted. And part of the reason that you are exalted is you are the one who established your church. That our Lord and Savior died for his church, for us. And the things that you desire of your church Lord, may those things be the same things that we desire. So help us today as we study your word, as we read through these chapters, and as we study these truths, 
May we be open to what you want to say to us this morning. May we even ask, Lord, speak to me that I can hear you and I can respond to what you're saying to me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's important to notice something about the seven, letter, the seven letters that were sent to the seven churches. There is a similarity in the letters, and you'll notice that. First of all, there is in each letter a command, the command of Christ to write the letter. And then secondly, there is a description of Jesus. And, and I want you to notice on your sermon insert, on the bulletin, in the bulletin, the sermon page, that on the back side... There is a list of the seven descriptions of Jesus. Each, each one, each letter has a different description of Jesus. A great study for you would be to look this week, and I would even suggest, and I suggested it in the bulletin, I suggest that you write a prayer each day based on that description of who Jesus is. I believe you will find that to be a very helpful exercise. Each letter also contains an assessment of the condition of the church that is addressed. And then each letter also contains an encouragement to persevere. And now when you look at the letters as a group, you'll see that, that the churches themselves fall into three categories. There are those which are predominantly good, and we'll see Smyrna and we'll see Philadelphia. These were churches that had nothing bad said about them by the Lord. The Lord had no condemnation for those two. You'll see also there are two churches, the churches of Sardis and Laodicea, of which the Lord had nothing good to say, that he spoke to them in condemnation. And then the other three, the churches of Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira, those were churches of mixed character. And in, their, in those letters, there was a a combination of commendation and censure that were spoken by the Lord. So let's look today first at what are the consequences of compromise? Because the Lord addresses that in the letter. What are the consequences of compromise? And I want us to look first at the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, we see that the apostle Paul visited this great city. He established a thriving church there. The growth of that church threatened the cultic worship practices of the goddess Artemis. The income that was derived from the manufacture and the sale of, of idol images. And there created a riot in the city because that was threatened. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul would warn that church, would warn the elders of that church, that he foresaw a time when the false teachers from within the church would rise up, and he described them as being like savage wolves, tearing the flock, dividing the flock. That's the church in Ephesus. That's the church in Ephesus to which John now writes this letter. And I think that's why in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we read that Jesus said, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Last week, Brian talked about in the introduction that there was this description 
of the one who was standing among the seven lampstands and holding the seven stars in his hand. And those seven lampstands represented the seven churches. And Jesus is saying, Ephesus, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. You will cease to exist. That's a consequence of compromise. God is serious about that. He says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first, and I want you to repent so that I don't have to come and I don't have to remove your lampstand. To the church in Pergamum, you'll notice that he says, I know that you are living where Satan dwells. Think about that for a minute. You could probably identify some cities in America, couldn't you, where you would say, yeah, Satan's alive and well there. Satan lives there for sure. And we would be able to identify that. And that's how Jesus addresses Pergamum. And he says, look, I know, I know how tough it is for you to live in the city you're in because that is where Satan is. But even so, notice what Jesus says to them in, in verse, beginning in verse 14. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam. And now then he describes that who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will come soon and will come soon to you, will soon come to you, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. One of the descriptions of Jesus. He has this sword, sharp, double-edged sword in his mouth, and he said, Pergamum, if you don't repent, you're going to find yourself having to deal with me and I will bring that sharp two-edged sword, that sword that is able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that is able to discern motives, that is able to know the truth and separate it from that which is false. Christians, I think it's important for us to understand this, regardless Regardless of how difficult your life is, Jesus expects you to remain faithful in every way. Sometimes our compromise comes in the form simply of excusing our bad behavior because life is just too hard. And I know that temptation, but we need to understand that God has said, Look, even if you live where Satan dwells, you're mine, and I expect you to live like mine. I expect you to be faithful. The church at Thyatira has been called the adulterous church. Thyatira was a prosperous city with several trade unions, and, and they produced a variety of merchandise. And you remember that the Apostle Paul encountered a lady by the name of Lydia in Philippi. And it says that Lydia was a seller of purple and she was from Thyatira. It was a commercial center and the church was established there. But it's been called the adulterous church because there were so many false gods worshipped in the city and everyone was expected to be tolerant and worship them all. That kind of pluralism was coming into the church as well. That's why Jesus said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. 
Then Jesus says, I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intently, intensely unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Listen, folks, a compromising church will never have the purity and the perseverance that brings honor to Christ. That church will not receive the blessings of Christ. The church at Sardis, well, that church had a name, had an outward form of Christianity, but its inward power, but it lacked an inward power of faith and life. It was on the brink of spiritual death. Jesus does not mention, in this letter, it's interesting, he does not mention any oppression from the outside or any false teachers coming up from within. You'll notice that when you read that. What is the source of their problem? They simply have become complacent. They are near death and don't even know it. And that's why Jesus said to them, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Oh, the complacency that comes when we begin to compromise the importance of God's word. The church at Laodicea, I think it's probably one of the better known of the seven churches. It's the lukewarm church, and we hear often about it. It's interesting that in Laodicea, they proudly fancied themselves as spiritually rich and faultless. Jesus said its indifference made it poor and blind and naked. In verse 16, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one way or the other. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I would rather you be in strong opposition to me than just piddling along lukewarm. He said, I would rather most of all that you would be hot, that you would be for me, that you would be serving me. As a result, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, vomit you out of my mouth. What is it that compromises the church? I think the better question is, who is it that compromises the church? And the answer is people. Leaders of a church can compromise a church. Members can compromise a church. And the first step to a compromised church is taken when individuals compromise their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. In any of the churches... We must never forget that to each church, whether faithful or rebellious, here's something that's important. We must remember that Christ still holds out hope to those who repent. That's why we ask the next question. What are the rewards of repentance? In each of the seven letters, we see this phrase. To the one who is victorious. Well, you see that phrase if you're reading from a a newer edition of the NIV, or if you're using an online source that uses the latest edition, the 2011 NIV, if you're using one of the older ones, it says, to him who overcomes, and we're more familiar with that. 
It is interesting that the Greek word there literally means to overcome, to prevail, to conquer, to gain the victory. To the one who overcomes, to the one who is victorious, to the one who is willing to prevail, who is, who is exerting, who is participating, who is not compromising, to that one, to him who overcomes. It's interesting that that same word is used in Romans chapter 8. A prefix meaning hyper or preeminently is added to it. And Paul says in Romans 8, but to over to in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Same word. More than conquerors to him who overcomes, to him who is victorious. You see, that that is the reward of repentance. That is the blessing that we receive. But I want you to notice again, we're going to go through the list real quickly. To Ephesus, the reward would be to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Remember, that was the church that Jesus said, if you don't repent, I will remove your candlestick. I will remove your lampstand. I will remove you. But he says, if you repent to that same church, he says, you will eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. God is abundantly gracious. To Smyrna, he said, the reward will be the crown of life unharmed by the second death. A church greatly persecuted, always faithful. Jesus said, you will be unharmed by second death. To Pergamum, the reward will be the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name. God says, you're mine. Repent and return to me. Enjoy the right relationship with me. To Thyatira, the reward will be the ruler with authority over the nations and receive the morning star. To Sardis, the reward will be to receive honor and be dressed in white. To Philadelphia, the reward will be to be a permanent pillar in God's temple and receive the name of God and the name of the new Jerusalem and also a Super Bowl champ. Oh, no, that's not in there. <laughs> to Laodicea, the lukewarm church. If you repent, the reward will be the right to sit with Christ on his throne. Wow. See, folks, that's why it's important that we take seriously God's call for us to be people who repent. You see the importance of it? Regardless, regardless of who you've been or what you've been through, there is hope when we return to God in repentance. There is promise. There is a future. Smyrna was one of the two churches of which Christ spoke no condemnation. Smyrna was a church that, that gracefully endured great persecution. And we also know that that persecution of that church continued. Early in the second century, the leader of the church was a man named Polycarp. He was the last living direct connection to the apostles. Polycarp had been discipled personally by John, the author of the book of Revelation. The things that we know of John, John had imparted those to Polycarp. There was a pagan mob 
that was demanding the life of Polycarp. Smyrnans were fiercely loyal to Rome and they worshipped all the Roman gods. They felt like if you kill the church leader, you'll kill his church, his church will die. The governor had dispatched soldiers to track him down. Intent on locating him, they, they tortured witnesses who finally revealed Polycarp's whereabouts. The soldiers brought him into the amphitheater where a great number of people were gathered. And it says that as Polycarp entered into the amphitheater, he heard this voice say to him, Be strong, play the man. In 1 Corinthians we read where Paul says, Be the man. The governor threatened Polycarp, demanded that he recant his faith. And he said, I will, I will burn you. And Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire that will last for an hour? And you care not of the fire that will last for all eternity. And he demanded, recant your faith. And then we have these famous words of Polycarp. And I want you to think about those, these words. Four score and six years, I have served him. He has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? All my life, God has done nothing but give me good. How can I recant that? How can I deny him now? In every letter to the seven churches, there is also this admonition, and it is this, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I prefer the translation that says, he who has an ear, because I only have an ear, I've got one, but this text says, he who has ears. I thought of this last Friday night as I was at the Happy Hands dinner. The children that Happy Hands serve may not hear with these ears, but they hear. And they hear how much they are loved by God. To him who has ears, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the question is, what is the Spirit saying to you? What's the Spirit saying to Highland Park? Is there an area in your life today that you know you have compromised your faith to God? And is that area of compromise hindering your witness, your faithfulness, your obedience to Christ? Have you lost the fervor, your love for Christ that you had at once, at one time? Do you now allow or indulge in any type of immorality or accept fault teachers and excuse it as being tolerant? Have you become indifferent lukewarm in standing up for your faith or in sharing your faith? 
You know, for several years, Highland Park hosted Celebrate Recovery. Met here on Thursday nights. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step recovery ministry. And every Thursday night at the close of our large group session, we would offer chips. Those chips stands, that word chip stood for Christ healing in progress. And the first chip that a person took on their journey to recovery was a blue chip. And you would come down and, and you would take a blue chip and that indicated that you wanted to make a change in your life. And you needed help. And you knew you needed help. But you walked down here. You got the blue chip. People applauded. People cheered you because you were taking that first step. That's what repentance is, folks. The way we avoid compromise is to constantly evaluate and repent as God brings things to our attention. This morning, I'm going to, going to ask you do, you, do you need one of those spiritual blue chips? Do you need Christ's healing in progress in your life? We're going to play a song. It's a song you may recognize, you may not. But as we play that song, I want you to be thinking, is there an area in my life that calls me to repentance? I believe this song, in, in, in many ways, is kind of a, a spiritual description of the, of the churches. So listen to the song and pray. What does the Spirit say to you right now? I've had many tears and sorrow I've had questions for tomorrow There've been times I didn't know right from wrong But in every situation God gave me blessed consolation That my trials come To only make me strong And I've seen millions of faces But there were times that I felt so all alone But in my lonely hour Yet those precious lonely hours Jesus let me know that I was his own That's the reason I say that through it all in Jesus, I've learned to trust in God. Let me tell you that through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned, I've learned to depend upon His word. So I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys. And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. Oh, if I'd never had a problem, 
I'd never know that God could solve them I'd never know what faith in his word could do That's the reason I say that through it all Father, I pray that that we would today allow your spirit to speak, that we would hear what you want to say to this church, what you would want to say to this person, and I'd hear what you want to say to me. I pray, Father, that we will hear the promises, but I pray we will also hear the call to repentance. And Father, even in this next song, if if you are by your Holy Spirit or prompting people to respond to you, maybe they're not even knowing exactly what to do, but but they want they want a blue chip. They want to be able to start the journey and even as we sing they come down to the front be able to pray with someone be able to begin that journey God I pray that this church would be your church faithful in Jesus name have a couple questions come in today um, that I'm going to take a crack at here, just a few of these. And the first one uh, that, that came in was this. Uh, what does it mean to eat from the tree of life? Uh, did you see that at the end of the letter to the church in Ephesus? And one of the things that's really just beautiful about the book of Revelation is when you read it, keep going back and reading Genesis too. Because in Genesis, there was a tree, and when you ate from that tree, what happened? death. But in Revelation, we've come full circle. And now when you eat from the tree, what do you get? Life. There's this lots of imagery from Revelation goes all the way back to, to Genesis. And this idea of eating from the tree of life is that you get to eat something that's eternal. 
It's not talking about just a food. It's talking about taking part of saying yes to Jesus who forgives us and promises eternal life. And we see this kind of talk throughout the scriptures. Remember, Jesus talks about um, the water of life, the eternal water. And even Revelation ends with whoever is thirsty, let him drink uh, the free gift of the water of life. And so that kind of imagery is all through the book. And that, uh, that's a good question, something I hope that you can, can keep noticing. Uh, here's another one. Um, is the message to the churches literal to them, or is it also applicable to us? And I think the answer is, yeah, it is both. Um, and we, we've talked about this as we've been studying Revelation. Um, we, we miss it when we only think that the letter that the seven churches that we're reading this said it was only to them and no more than them. If that were the case, then God probably would not have wanted it to be included in our Bible, you know, because the Bible speaks to people in all times. There's truth for all people. But we also become really self-centered when we think it only applies to me, 2018. And that's what lots of authors do right now and some TV evangelists. They read Revelation as it only applies to them in America in 2018, and it had nothing to do with, you know, Ephesus, 2,000 years ago, and we believe the answer is both. We, it was written first to these seven churches, but has application beyond, very much like the other letters in the New Testament. Um, we think about Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, uh, the letters to Corinth, Corinthians. Those were all written to spe a specific group of people, and the better we understand them, the better we understand the letters, but uh, also has great application to us. So we need to read it kind of with our eyes on both. Um, Let's see. How literal is Revelation? That's kind of a similar question there. And when Jesus, Dave read the verse when Jesus warned that he would remove their lampstand, that's not literal. And Jesus wasn't going and like churches trying to guard their lamp, secret lampstand they hid in the downstairs closet or whatever. Um, that's not literal. So we're, when, when somebody says, do you read, the, do you read Revelation literally? Don't assume that means do you read it truthfully. Literal and truth, that's not the, it's not the same. Literal is a writing device. It's a way you write. The Psalms were not written literally. Proverbs not written literally. Jesus' parables not written literally, not told literally. We are to read the Bible truthfully. And so just because something is figurative, that doesn't mean it's not truthful. And, uh, and, and I would just, before I, I'm not going to go much farther with that other than to say, if you missed last week, I spent about the first 10 to 15 minutes of the sermon talking about how do we read Revelation. We talked about the three different types of writing styles in Revelation. If we don't understand those writing styles, Revelation is really difficult for us. If we understand those, it gets a, a lot more simple. Not easy, but it gets a, a lot more simple to read through it. So I want to encourage you to go through there. And Dave mentioned on the back of um, the sermon page, we actually just kind of listed out kind of some principles for reading Revelation. Um, the last question I got, and I'm only going to do one of these, this whole series. I don't want any more joke questions, but this one I'm going to read. Next time, can Dave do that Andre Crouch song as a solo? <laughs> so um, you can talk to Valerie Lawmeyer about that. She showed up in my contacts. So uh, I hope he can. Um, uh, hey, we, we so much appreciate you being here. I would encourage you to read through Revelation 2 and 3 again this week. 
And, um, and like Dave said, I'm going to jump back in next week. And there's just so much to these two chapters here, these letters to the, to the seven churches. And so it's really important. There was a couple more questions that came in kind of at the last, and we don't have the time to get to them, but we'll get to them uh, hopefully next week, even within the sermon, be able to answer some of those. If you would, would you stand and, and uh, let me pray for us and dismiss us here today? God, I just want to pray as a church that you care about that we would honor you this week. I pray that as we even leave here today, um, we could love each other and encourage each other and care for one another. I pray that all week long we'd be, we'd be praying for one another, helping one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, building one another up. God, help us to do all of the one another's that we read about in the Bible so that we can be a church that finds favor in your eyes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.